White Ice, uh, 2018, a year of questions and conversations on race with United Methodist clergy and laity focusing on the 50 years after merger and how it has affected African-American congregations and their communities. My name is Vincent Harris, your host for this podcast, and we will explore uh, over the year conversations on yesterday's perspective on race, today's context of race in uh, United Methodist churches, and also visions for tomorrow. We will have guests from all walks of life, and we uh, hope that you will be able to join us in these conversations. Bishop Earl Bledsoe with us today on, on the podcast. We have uh, continuing conversations on racism, what was uh, years ago the statement, the church is unfinished business. Uh, and so today I'm going to kind of share with Bishop uh, some questions. And the first one, of course, is the obvious one. And uh, Do you believe racism remains the most challenging issue for the church and society today? Well, Vincent, first of all, thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to be able to be with you today. Uh, yes, I think the isms are still with us, and most especially uh, the church's unfinished business is definitely racism. Okay. Um, if you were asked, you know, over these last 50 years, we have been uh, a part of the United Methodist Church. How would you uh, grade race relations on a scale of 1 to 10? I, I think, uh, you know, during the, probably the 70s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, we made significant progress uh, to where I would probably rated up around six Um, but I think within the last maybe two to three years especially under the um, after the election of Barack Obama as the first African-American president and then subsequently I think we've gone back uh, and I would probably rate it at around a two at this point in time. Wow Um, that's a big uh, that's a big difference six to two but I think that the cultural aspects of that have caused that yeah in terms of society probably much lower mm-hmm. uh, but I, I think in terms of the church even more so because we should know the scriptures and we should have made better progress than what mm-hmm. we've done mm-hmm. uh, I serve as president of the general commission on religion and race and we deal with that issue in the church every day sure. Sure. Uh, so so it's like we've gone backwards instead of forward so, so we've had these years together united do you feel that uh, merger has helped or hindered the progress or potential for African-American churches? Well, I think it helped in terms of the opportunities that were presented to us. Uh, whether we took fully advantage of those opportunities, I'm not sure. Um, there were some things that I think we could have done better. And so as a result, if you compared where we were as black people before merger, you would find that we had stronger churches, much stronger churches. Uh, when you see what happened to us after merger and subsequent since that time, mm-hmm. most of our churches are either closed or they've died on the vine or we haven't done, given any resources, no support. Mm-hmm. And then when you also pull out the leadership in terms of in a, in, and put them uh, you know, in many other areas within the church, mm-hmm. it also dilutes the leadership yeah. in the black community as well as the black church. Yeah. So part of it is just some of the things that we did okay. <laughs> uh, that caused some of the results that we're getting right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of a, a couple of questions. One is that, you know, this decline and closings and closed churches, uh, one of the, the outcomes for this is not what can we do uh, to turn the tide? Are there things that you might offer or that you know of that would help 
the, uh, the church has moved back into a place of strength? Yeah, we have to be intentional. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, we must be intentional. I'm, I'm for advocating starting black churches, okay. in black, especially in communities where you have a significant number of black people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we, we need to be making sure that that uh, leadership is cultivated and developed there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have to sensitize people, too, in terms of the contribution that blacks have made, mm-hmm. uh, making sure that at least uh, the input and black contributions are incorporated into the general society and the church as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I know that we have sometimes uh, got in our own way. Uh, as, as African Americans, and, and, and not done the things we needed to do to make sure that race relations, as well as our own uh, churches, uh, could move forward. Um, do you uh, see anything that we could do in, in that area of helping people realize that sometimes you're getting in your own way? Are there places that you can see where we got in our own way that we just need to address? Well, I think we've become complacent. Okay. So that's <laughs> that's easy to do. You know, we we, we yeah. feel we go weary. And well doing, it felt like, well, that issue has already been fought. Uh, all it took was an uh, election of a president who uh, kind of brings the, the issue back to the front forefront. And we realized that there are some things we thought we had fought battles and had won uh, that we may have to fight those battles all over again. Yeah. So I think we have become complacent. Yeah. Uh, and we probably haven't done as much as we need to do in terms of being advocates and being outspoken. Mm-hmm as far as the issue is concerned. The, um, the movement or the struggle, uh, you know, the civil rights, uh, the, the, the one thing that we discovered years ago is that that movement helped us to really gain some confidence and motivation for churches and communities. Um, do you, um, you think there's something that we could do today that would kind of equate to that kind of energy that we had uh, during the time of, of the civil rights movement? Well, and you see all kinds of movements that are going on even today. I mean, for example, uh, you look at the, what's going on with the young people in terms of gun violence right now. There's movement, the women's movement. Uh, people are rising up. Uh, I think, and part of, you know, there's some things that we've learned over the years that suggest that we can come together. Uh, regardless of our differences, and be able to advocate for a cause of justice. Uh, That's been a a hallmark of the black church for many, many years. And as I said, I think sometimes we become complacent. We feel like, well, those battles were fought. Well, I'm getting too old. or I've done it all. But I think we've got to begin to make sure that this next generation understands not only our history, but also some of the things that are most dear to and, and the unfinished business in terms of the church. You know, we have so many issues, I guess, that we face today. One of them today, within the general context of the church, is our conversation on human sexuality. Right. Uh, how do you think, or do you believe, that this conversation impacts a black, the black church? I, I'm not so sure whether it's our conversation. I really okay. don't, uh, okay. uh, Vincent, because I, as I was growing up as a young boy in the black church, we had persons who were gay and no one ever called people out. No one excluded anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were many. Uh, we were taught respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were also taught diversity. Uh, I can remember even during the days of segregation in the black church, my father, who was a, a Methodist pastor, would invite Anglo pastors into the congregation uh, to be able to bring a message and to preach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never saw that hand extended up the other way around, but but we were taught to be able to uh, respect uh, persons who were different mm-hmm. and uh, and to be able to make sure that if they were, you know, part of the church that uh, we acknowledge that 
and became part of it. So I'm not so sure whether it's our our issue, really. Okay. I mean, the black church has always included people. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. I, I don't ever know anyone who was ever pushed out mm-hmm. or even set aside or excluded mm-hmm. uh, because of their sexual orientation. That's just been my experience. Sure, sure. sure. Um, um, I, uh, years ago, worked with uh, James Shopshire and uh, he helped me to understand the inception of BNCR. Yeah. Uh, BMCR, uh, one word he used was gadfly. Right. Uh, and, and so I'm wondering today, do you have uh, any idea about how BMCR is is kind of living up to that, 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 that kind of terminology? Well, <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we've kind of become, as I said, a little bit complacent. We've uh-huh. lost kind of our... Uh, uh, sense of being and also a sense of purpose, but mm-hmm. I think we're getting that back. Okay. I really do, okay. uh, because I think it always someone always needs to kind of agitate mm-hmm. and maybe stir up the situation a little bit. And BMCR played that role. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the fact that I'm a bishop of the church, I owe it to the individuals. I could start calling them by name who made sacrifices, who were criticized, who was put down and talked about for which they said was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And for mm-hmm. as a result, I benefited from their advocacy and for their agitating and stirring things up. Sure. That was BMCR's role, mm-hmm. uh, and they did it very well. So as a result, I think we've got to uh, go back to our original uh, purpose and our reason for being, and it was to make sure that the church was inclusive at all levels, and then help educate a younger generation mm-hmm. about not only our past, but also where we're going in the future. Sure. And generationally, it seems that like we don't have the connections that we, that we should uh, with those persons to, to help them understand that these are real, authentic relationships mm-hmm. that we're a part of in the church. And somewhere along the way, uh, that's not been communicated, that, that people field, and, and I've, I've talked to a number of young people as well, that there's this disconnect mm. generationally. Mm-hmm. And, and so how how would you suggest uh, a movement into a place that, that we could encourage our younger African Americans, both laity and clergy, in, in, our, in our quest to mm-hmm. be better as a church? Well, you know, in the context for many, uh, especially millennial, millennials and Gen Xs are different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and many of them grew up in a world where there was no segregation. They don't know anything about Jim Crow or any of those issues. And so as a result, their context is different. So even when you start talking about segregated society, they look at you kind of like, what are you talking about? We don't know anything about that, as if it did not exist. Uh, so first of all, I think we've got to be able to make sure that we make connection with where they are and who they are. Uh, and then help educate them in terms of what making sure that they have a firm foundation to stand on. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I think, is the first step. Mm-hmm. Um, that gap has got to be bridged. There is a gap. You're yeah. right. It is a gap. Yeah. But the gap is one in which was created because of the different contexts uh, that the younger generation grew in, mm-hmm. grew up in, and the one in which we grew in. Mm-hmm. It, it was different. Mm-hmm. And as a result, because our experiences were different, mm-hmm. we have different perspectives about it. Right. Uh, and so that's why I think the conversations, we need to just continue to make sure that we're able to connect with each other. Yeah. Just recognizing, yeah, it, it's going to be different. Yeah. We all, we, yeah. you know, it, yeah. our experiences yeah. have been different. Yeah. There may need to be some, some special uh, opportunities for uh, everyone to, to sit and talk. That's right. Uh, that, that, you know, kind of workshop the ideas 
that came from the past, you know, some right. of the things that we know that are happening now, but what's going to be faced for those who are, you know, we talked about millennials, but also those who are coming behind the millennials, because right. there's another generation, you know, they keep coming. Yeah, they don't stop. that's right. That's you know, right. So, 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 so to really give people an opportunity to, to hear and understand how we've done what we've done and why. That's right. And how they might be able to benefit from those lessons and how we might be able to learn from them how they are affected by what they inherited. That's right. That's right. Yeah. To make those, to close those gaps. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Uh, Well, three things, you know, that we could really look at, you know, for a better outcome of the black church over the next few years is what I'm asking. Do you think there there are two or three things or maybe one that, you know, as we look toward the future, what can we kind of see? What three things that we could do that could help our churches and our communities and our leaders become better, uh, not only in the church as it sits on a corner, but also in its relationships to race and those around. Yeah, I think we got to begin to uh, start where black people are. And as you're probably aware, we are all over the place. I mean, I I just got back from Germany, Mm -hmm. uh, and I was there, and I was surprised because of the diversity, even in Germany. There were black people from everywhere Mm -hmm. that were there as well. Their contacts is, and so not to stereotype us and assume uh, that black people are only in one part of the world. So we've got to look at it from a global context right now, uh, Vincent. We also have to deal with the prison situation because a lot of our young black males are in the U.S. are in, in the, are locked into a prison system. And so we've got to recognize that. We've got to uh, at least acknowledge that and recognize that there's a lot of work that has to be done in, in that area. When uh, Leslie and I retire, that's one of the uh, areas that we're going to invest our time in. Uh, just to say, you know, it's important for those of us who have served as leaders is to be able to connect with our brothers and sisters who have been locked up and sometimes who don't have a future in society to say that God loves you and that you are a part of the kingdom of God and making sure that they hear that Mm -hmm. and understand that because they too have a story to tell Mm -hmm. and uh, and they also can add to this uh, conversation about connecting people together. Sure. Um, Is there anything that you would like to share before we close uh, today? Uh, I don't have any other questions, but you may have something you want to offer as a a closing statement. Well, I think also we've let our white brothers and sisters off the hook too long, you know, as if to suggest that somehow, uh, you know, they're not a part of this conversation. Um, It's not to suggest that they can fix it or that they uh, have all of the answers, but also think that in light of where we are as a society, uh, uh, we too need to hold them accountable Mm -hmm. for either some of the rhetoric but also uh, some of the ways in which they, too, participate in racism Mm -hmm. and uh, what I usually call white privilege, Mm -hmm. uh, where that as a result of them benefiting as a result of what has happened uh, over the past few years, there's a part that they've got to play as well. And I think the church has to make that happen. Sure. Well, I uh, thank you for your time Mm -hmm. and great conversation. It's good to see you after after a while and uh, hope that uh, as we we go through this, there may be some other conversations that we can have later on. So I'd I'd welcome you to come back and share with us. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much, Bishop.